Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and today we're joined by Dr. Dina Hardy, a technical services veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. And we are going to discuss the differences in antibiotic therapies and take a deeper look at fluorphenicol. Stay tuned for a message from Merck Animal Health. When your clients come to you with a BRD issue, turn to the experts at Merck Animal Health. Merck Animal Health stands behind you, so you can stand behind your clients. With a broad portfolio of vaccines, antibiotic solutions, monitoring technology, and a leading technical services team. They're here to help you tackle BRD with confidence. Visit with the dash brd-experts.com to learn more. Then talk to your Merck Animal Health representative or technical services veterinarian. Welcome to our show, Dina. Please introduce yourself for our listeners. Hi, uh, my name is Dina Hardy. I'm a tech services veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. Um, I joined Merck in March of 2020, so I've been in the company just over three years. Uh, prior to that, I was in private practice in Georgia and also um, in CalCAF and feed yard consulting practice in central Nebraska before making the move down to Canyon, Texas, where I currently reside. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today uh, and talking to us uh, on this topic, which is the differences in antibiotic therapies and a deeper look at fluorphenicol. And as we stated in our introduction, this podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Uh, but we're going to start off, Dina. Uh, most of our listeners have an understanding of the different classes of anti-infectives that we use in cattle. But just to level set, could you give us a brief overview of the different classes and take us back to our pharmacology classes in veterinary school? Oh, awesome. So certainly, I guess I should recognize I am not a pharmacologist, right, or bacteriologist or such, but um, hopefully I can provide some insight on antibiotic decision making uh, kind of from that cow-calf or feed yard consultant perspective. And so when I think about the different classes of antibiotics, specifically injectable antibiotics available for use um, in cattle, um, I have a kind of lumped into several categories. So I think about the macrolides, um, tilmycosin kind of being that pioneer product. And now the longer lasting macrolides, tilothromycin, tilopyrosin, and gamethromycin. Um, there's also the fluorphenicols. Again, in, in the food animal or cattle space, it is just fluorphenicol. Quinolones, uh, such as interfloxacin and danafloxacin. And then cephalospores, excuse me, cephalospores like septiafur, uh, tetracyclines, penicillins, and then aminocyclitols such as spectinomycin. Um, again, I think these cover most of our injectable products, you know, keeping in mind that we have both feed grade and some water applications available too. We're fortunate that we have a lot of options for, for treating our cattle, and we're going to walk through, uh, you know, one particular uh, class. But when we're talking about anti-infectives in cattle, one of the primary uses is to treat and control bovine respiratory disease, or BRD as we like to call it. How do these different classes of antimicrobials that you just discussed fit into a protocol? Yeah, so currently um, antibiotics are labeled either for treatment of BRD, control of BRD, or both. 
Um, so specifically, as we think about control of BRD or what we refer to as uh, metaphloxis, that overall goal uh, really is just to decrease the risk and negative effects of BRD. Uh, there's several published meta-analyses that not only show the benefit of metaphloxis in our production system, but also meta-analysis are available to help provide vets as a, a guide to kind of predict what expected outcomes we would see when we choose specific antibiotics and antibiotic classes, especially as it relates to those um, high-risk calves that we may be receiving in feedlot and stocker operations. Um, both my experiences and reported in the meta-analysis done by Abel and all um, Macrolides like telathromycin and tildopricin kind of shine in, in that space. Um, for us at Merck, um, our anti-infective portfolio uh, consists of macrolides, um, Zeprevo and Aravin, and then Florfenicol, Nuflor, and Resflor. <clears throat> we see most use of macrolides in the first line defense either as metaphylaxis or treatment, and Florfenicol lands itself then as treatments behind a macrolide. Um, you know... So we're talking about this. I think it's worth noting, though, whether for control or treatment, there's so many factors relating to the group of calves that are at risk, whether that's season, uh, in weight, geographic origin, time on a truck trailer. Combine that with the previous experience that you have as a veterinarian or the history with that type of calf. And then couple that with what's available um, in published literature. I think all that has to be considered before we make an antibiotic selection. Yeah, that's a great overview. But today we're going to focus mostly on the molecule and the phenicol class, specifically fluorphenicol. Could you share how fluorphenicol works and in what scenario would fluorphenicol primarily be used? Yeah, so um, when we think about um, in vitro um, Forfenicol is broad spectrum, right? It's bacteriostatic with some cytal properties. Um, it is exclusively used in veterinary medicine. Uh, we also know that it's a synthetic fluorinated analog of thiamphenicol or chlorphenicol. And again, when I think about that mechanism of action, like how does it actually work? Um, it's going to inhibit ribosomal activity, um, actually disrupting protein synthesis of that bacteria. Uh, we know that fluorphenicol has strong gram-positive and negative properties. And even, uh, I think, more importantly, as it relates to BRD, we see some anti-inflammatory activity, too, through uh, reduction in immune cell proliferation and cytokine production. Now, admittedly, right, um, that description of how the antibiotic works in vitro is, is interesting and is certainly thought-provoking. I think we still have to combine that, though, with what we are actually seeing out in the field. Um, so to answer the second part of that question, and I think as I previously alluded to, most often we do see fluorphenicol used as a treatment behind a macrolide, whether that was used for metaphylaxis or first treatment. And I, I think that makes sense. Um, as we tie that in with what we know about fluorphenicol in vitro, um, it actually has the ability to reach and penetrate diseased lung tissue. Um, in, in regards, though, to treatment and specifically using fluorphenicol in treatment protocols, I still think as an industry, we probably have some deficits when it comes to how to accurately predict, accurately diagnose, and think about, you know, are we even pulling the right animal for the right disease process? And then also when we think about the timing of treatment, are we appropriately treating at the right time during that disease process? I think this is exciting to see where we're heading in the future when we think about different 
uh, BRD diagnosis and different technologies that maybe we can um, implement to try to help solve that problem. But so in short, you know, in my experiences, and I think what the literature would say, forfenicol is often used um, in that first treatment slot. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really nice practical uh, review of how veterinarians may prescribe this product for uh, use on cattle operations. But let's talk a little bit about why is fluorophenicol such an important molecule in cattle health right now, and then perhaps a look into the future. Great question. So um, to my knowledge, there's no additional drug classes that are being developed for use in cattle in the foreseeable future. Um, as I already mentioned, fluorophenicol is not used in human medicine. Um, and I also think its ability to infect that inflamed tissue and potentially reduce the continuation of inflammation is critical. But what's interesting, right, is, is fluorophenicol has been around for a while, over 25 years. And arguably, um, it's just as relevant today and important in cattle health as it was when it was first introduced. Yes, and I am going to date myself, and I remember when uh, New Floor first came on the market, uh, and and I'm sure many of our listeners do as well. So appreciate that background uh, and perspective about its use in cattle health. So when when veterinarians are talking to producers, and when you're talking to producers about using fluorphenicol to treat BRD. What is your under, what is your experience with their understanding, with producers understanding the role it plays in their protocols? What misconceptions do you hear from producers that our veterinarians should be aware of? So when it comes to those misconceptions, um, the, these are two of my favorite topics to go over um, when I'm in con- customer or client facing meetings. Um, the first one I think I hear most often is the antibiotic quit working. And then I think the second misconception is that more is better, whether that's increasing the dose and, and, and going off label or retreating too soon. So I think I often and, and probably can say most veterinarians struggle with setting realistic expectations in regards to battling BRD. We all know it's complex. It's multifactorial and so forth. And I think despite decades of research, it's not as well understood as we would like for it to be. Um, When we think about antibiotic treatments, I feel many producers solely rely and think that there's just a bug-drug interaction, i.e. like that antibiotic is killing the problem and and fixing the animal. But I kind of want to change that mindset, and and, and I think more so that maybe we should be considering this as a we're applying an antibiotic therapy to reduce bacterial populations or bacterial load, thus giving the animal's immune system an opportunity to appropriately fight the disease. Which brings up another point. Are all of our animals immunocompetent? Probably not. The second part of that too is, you know, as the old adage goes, you cannot manage what you don't measure. I think it's so important we talk to producers about the value of a protocol, a treatment protocol, and why each anti-infective is chosen for its place in that protocol, and then helping them stick to it to follow those set PMIs or post-metaphylactic intervals or PTIs, the post-treatment intervals. I think it's prudent that that we continue to educate clients, um, also openly communicate with them, as I know that this can be a struggle and frustrating, um, but encourage record keeping and so that we can go back and, and see where we've been and, and maybe try to make improvements going forward. Um, and all in all, I, I just think it's important that we make sure we're doing what's right for the animal and the right thing for the industry. And I want to follow that up with uh, 
talking about veterinarians, we have an important role to play in helping producers understand how BRD can impact their herd. Very important role for uh, that veterinarian of record. What do you think is key for those veterinarians to know about BRD and then using fluorophenicol as they talk to their producer clients? So I'm, I'm going to deviate a little bit here because I think something that at least I know I don't talk about um, as it relates to beef cattle operations enough is biosecurity. How are we containing and maintaining that risk from within and from the outside? I think we need to understand, right, the feedlot receiving high-risk commingled cell barn calves has a completely different look on biosecurity compared to maybe a stalker operator that's just backgrounding um, his or her own cattle. But I, I think biosecurity is kind of downplayed. So we need to think about that. And then combine that with other management factors that can potentially reduce disease spread. But just as importantly, I think we need to reduce the overall stress on the animals that we're dealing with. I think the next step in, in this is a solid vaccine program, a solid herd health program. And so in my mind, both the biosecurity management and the vaccine program should come first, then let's have a conversation about a treatment protocol and assigning a specific treatment protocol. Um, I think using fluorphenicol or new fluoresfluor is in our portfolio as a first treatment is, is a very effective option. Um, and I'm very proud to have both of those tools available to us um, as we have one just a standalone product fluorphenicol and the other fluorphenicol with flunixin. You bring up a, a great point, Dina. Sometimes we know that using a non-steroidal inflammatory drug or an NSAID, as we like to call them, with an anti-infective can help get those sick cattle feeling better faster. What other benefits do you see with pairing an NSAID with an antibiotic? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it makes sense that NSAIDs help animals combat disease by reducing pyrexia or fever, um, potentially making those animals uh, start eating or drinking sooner. I think it's worth mentioning that there are two labeled NSAIDs uh, for producers, uh, one being Flunixin, um, our product Bananine. Um, and like I mentioned, combined with Forfenicol is our Res4 Gold product. And, you know, it's indicated for the control of, again, fever reduction associated with BRD and also has a, a label for um, endotoxemia and um, bovine mastitis. So in the literature, it's interesting to note, too, that Flunixin um, can also decrease lung consolidation. Uh, the other uh, label product is Ketoprofen. It's in the propionic acid class. And then there are other options that aren't labeled are meloxicam and aspirin. Certainly, I think combining insular therapies is, is worth considering. Um, again, kind of going back to that idea of evidence-based medicine, I think we have to use the data that's available, our, our own experiences of knowledge, and combine that with the animal's needs or our producer's needs. I think we understand, too, that using NSAIDs um, at the time of BRD treatment definitely decreases rectal temperature. Um, in Flunixin specifically, we can potentially decrease lung lesions. Um, unfortunately, the consisting supporting evidence for efficacy when we think about specific treatment outcomes like case fatality rate, et cetera, isn't as consistent as we'd like for it to be. However, um, I think it's very important that we consider those initial benefits of NSAIDs and think about that as it relates to an animal welfare, welfare perspective. Yeah, and I know uh, that you are doing some important research on antibiotic resistance in cattle, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't learn a little bit about what you're finding. Could you share with us what you're working on in this space? 
Yeah, certainly. So kind of switching gears a, a little bit, but something that's definitely relative is thinking about what resistance means in terms of clinical outcomes. So um, I was fortunate to start a master's project while um, working, and, and I've got a uh, longitudinal observation study that follows a thousand heifers from arrival to slaughter, where we took uh, deep nasal pharyngeal swaps at four different time points for traditional culture and sensitivity. So again, the objective of that study is to evaluate um, any associations from the results of antibiotic susceptibility testing or ASTs um, as it relates to BRD. Uh, and, and in the study, we specifically looked at Mannheimian pastorella with clinical outcomes for BRD. Um, so right now we're kind of in the preliminary stages of analyzing the data. And uh, we are seeing that there's limited associations with our traditional culture and sensitivity as it relates to BRD outcomes, um, such as retreatment, morbidity, mortality, and so forth. Um, so again, uh, lots more to come in regards to that. Um, but to my knowledge, it's kind of the first that that's taking this, this approach and, and looked at Again, what does phenotypic antibiotic resistance um, look like when we compare that to different health events throughout a feeding period? Very interesting, uh, Dina. What else do you think as we close up this podcast, what else do you think is important for our listeners to know or understand about Forfenicol? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think I'd be remiss without mentioning um for Hunicol's activity against foot rot, a lot of this has been about BRD, but certainly um, need to mention that it's labeled for the treatment of foot rot, uh, specifically associated with Fusobacterium and Bacteroides. And it's certainly, it's an option that I like to have in my toolbox um, when I think about foot rot. Um, also, I think it's important to mention too that Merck is, it's committed to continuing research um, when it relates to antibiotic use whether that is thinking about antimicrobial resistance or just the best way to use the antibiotics we currently have available. In summary, I think it's important for us to think uh, for Finical, it, it has had a proven track record over the last 25 years, uh, a long history of being efficacious. And it's exciting to say that it still remains relevant today uh, when we battle BRD or foot rot. Well, Dean, I really appreciate uh, you updating us on Florfenicol. Many of us use, have used it for many years, and it's always good to review its relevant applications to bovine practice. So really appreciate your time today. I appreciate Merck Animal Health sponsoring this podcast and giving us this update on Florfenicol. I also want to remind our listeners that if you have further questions, reach out to your Merck Technical Services veterinarian. There are friends and colleagues and can help you uh, understand the uses of this product on your cattle operations. And visit them at the trade show at the AABP conference in Milwaukee. Registration is still open. Uh, and a trade show is a big part of our conference where you can meet with industry representatives and ask them about their products. And then finally, I just want to give a shout out to Merck, uh, their Office of Corporate Responsibility. Again this year, $90,000 donation to the AABP Foundation, which will fund 18 $5,000 scholarships to future colleagues interested in bovine practice. That scholarship 
uh, program was started by my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Norm Stewart, who is no longer with us. But boy, what a successful program that has been uh, partnering with the AABP Foundation and Merck to award those scholarships each and every year. So I want to thank Merck for that uh, as well. Dina, thanks again for joining us on our show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 